Welcome to the Camera Shake Podcast, episode 127. Podcast where we talk about photography, videography, and anything that's got anything to do with any of that. With me, Karsten Nuss, and none other than... Hi, I'm Dave Williams. Welcome to the Camera Shake Podcast. We also talk about sound. When I say we, I'm officially the highest guesting person, right? Yes, correct. Am I beating Tommy? Oh, yeah. When that's the important thing. <laughs> if I'm beating Tommy, nothing else matters. So I feel like I need to call Tommy and get it back on the show. In fact, we should do a show. Of just me and Tommy. Oh, one in three of us. I can be part of that. I can be part of that. So, yeah, you said with photography and videography, but sound is on the cards today. Yeah, so today we're going we're gonna to talk about a number of different things. Um, one of the things we're going to talk about is microphones. Indeed. Two kinds of microphones. So, this, um, this podcast, this week, this episode, uh, we've teamed up with DIYPhotography.net, who I write for, and we're comparing two microphones. We've both got blinking lights all over us, as you can see. And what you're hearing right now is the Rode Wireless Go 2, which is this side for me. And this one up here for me. But we're comparing it against the DJI mic, which is this side for me. Down there somewhere, <laughs> the red line for me. So we're gonna switch between the two at the start of the episode so you can hear the difference. So I think now, having done that, we now switch to the DJI mic. And here's the DJI mic. Right, so now you're hearing our voices unfiltered on the DJI mic. Unfiltered meaning there's been no post-processing that's, that's been done to the audio. So this is literally the audio straight out of the mic. Although that being said, I would have... You may have, you may have pushed the levels around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so, nothing else. Exactly, yeah. So we have to make sure that the levels are um, just about even. So just to compare the sound quality between the DJI and the Rode mics, Let's switch back to the Rode mics right now. So if you want to see what my actual thoughts, opinions are on this, uh, this pair of microphones and the battle we're putting them against each other with right now, go to diyphotography.net as soon as possible after watching this podcast or listening to this podcast, if we're going right into your ears, and, um, and you'll see my actual comparison, having done this, having recorded the episode and having compared the two. But let's have a little price comparison, um, what we think of them, the ergonomics and things like that. And I'm gonna start actually by saying the DJI mic comes in this cool box. And inside the box, which is a charging case, you get the two microphones and you get a receiver and you get a hot shoe stroke cold shoe adapter. It's cold shoe adapter really, isn't it? Um, but also you get a lightning adapter and a USB-C adapter. So I can plug the receiver straight into the phone and mic someone up and talk to them across the room with great audio. So for mobile and content, mobile and content, for mobile content creators, this is a great setup. Great ergonomics, little box, and it also has a little bag, and inside the bag we find these little fluffy things. <laughs> these little um, wind blockers, dead cats, whatever you want to call them. Mm. So this little package, I love, comes in at about 300 great British pounds. What about the wireless go-tos? So the wireless GoPros, GoPros, the, the Rode wireless go-tos. That's um, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a bit of a mouthful, Rewind. actually. It's, it's, already, it's, already, it's already late. Yeah. Um, no, the, the Rode wireless go-tos actually don't really come in a case per se. They come in a little neoprene pouch. Right. Um, which at first I thought was you know a bit of a letdown, mm -hmm. and so I bought uh, like an aftermarket case mm -hmm. for it, um, which is great. I would say it's great for storing them, 
But what I have found actually, uh, taking those out in my camera bag, for example, I quite like the fact that they squeeze together in a little neoprene pouch because I can mm -hmm. just stuff that into my yeah. into my camera bag. Yeah. That's really, I found that, I've learned to find that quite useful, but it's not charger or anything. Mm, that's so the thing. They charge so this, via USB. this case is quite compact in itself, so it will stuff into most gaps. Mm. Or you put it in the bag to give it a little more protection, but you do have the bonus of the charging case. Yes. So every time you're done with the microphone, you plug it back into the box, you're charging it without having to think about having to charge it. Yeah. Whereas with the Rode Wireless Go 2, you have to, it's a deliberate action. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's actually, I mean, this, this is one of the things, you know, with the Rode Wireless Go 2, you have to literally plug them into your computer or charge them via USB. Hmm. Um, what about the size? Well, the DJI's are a little bit smaller. Yeah. They're about just as wide, but not quite as deep. So the, the Rode Wireless Go 2s are square. We need to switch back to the DJI mic. Right. So the DJI mic's smaller, rectangular versus square, mm -hmm. but it's also like a matte black. They're both black, but it's a matte black. Yeah. The Rode Wireless Go 2, if I move it around, you might see it reflecting, especially if I point it up towards the light there. You'll see it's reflecting, whereas the DJI mic, there's it's the same all the way. It's a matte color. It's a little bit smaller. It's a little bit more inconspicuous. In yeah. However, it's got like two lights on them and yeah. uh, the green one is sort of blinking. Yeah, flashing That's... green, a solid red for recording. Yeah. Whereas with the Wireless Go 2, the Rode Wireless Go 2 still got two blue solid lights on it. Yeah. So there's lights everywhere. Um, the, the other thing though, if you want to hide them, both of them, you can plug in a three and a half mil um, lav mic or something else, but lav mic's gonna be what it's gonna be. Yeah, and the lav mic, actually the lav mics work really well. I've been using them on a number of occasions mm -hmm. and I do quite like them. I mean, typically, I would wear a lav mic rather than the actual unit. Um, but I think actually overall it's good news that you don't need a lav mic necessarily, yeah. you can just use the unit. Um, talking about myself. other options though, what's that? Right, so Rode um, make a number of accessories for the uh, go-tos and this is, a, this is a clever little thing, it's basically a handheld mic stick. So this is really just a stick. And um, the the actual unit just simply slides on the top and then there's a, a foam top that goes over the top. And it literally looks like you're a roving mm. reporter. Yeah, it's called the Interview Go. Yeah. It's about 25 pounds, I think. Something like that, or 20, I think under just under 20 quid, something okay. like that. Um, but it's very useful when you're out there interviewing people. Um, I use this a lot at the photography show mm. because this, uh, that was a, a really simple audio setup for me mm. since I was running and gunning. So you didn't need to wire someone up, you could yes. just mic back and forth. Yes, because in a situation like this, it's all about really grabbing somebody really quickly, interviewing mm. them on the go and uh, you know, doing that with, with one mic is just so much easier rather than having to clip a mic on them mm. and, you know, and all that kind of jazz. So, um, so this is a really useful accessory. It's very simple. It's literally just a plastic um, stick with a mount on the top. Um, and, uh, and again, there's the, the windscreen basically that goes over the top. Um, it makes you look kind of professional. It's got wrote, written all over it. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, it's it free advertising. Yeah, advertising the company at the same yeah. time. But yeah, it's surprisingly simple, mm -hmm. but very useful. Mm. Yeah, so that's the interview go. I like it. Useful little, little accessory there. So, again, if you want to figure out um, what the difference is yourselves and compare. What my opinion is, there's loads of places to look around, but I'm going to be writing it up for DIYphotography.net in partnership with the Camera Shake podcast, so you can exactly. go check out the blog after you watch or listen to this episode. Are we going to switch back? Let's switch back to the road. What? Let's go to. 
Nice. Now, I don't even, you know, I don't have an opinion on a DJI mic yet because I haven't right. actually heard it yet. Right. Okay. So I'll be hearing this for the first time when I go into editing this, mm. this podcast episode. And then, um, you know, maybe next time we talk about my impressions. Right. Generally. But right. Oh, prices. So £300 roughly for the um, DJI mic. And I think 280 270 for the Rode Wireless Go 2. Um, this could. We're doing true. some live googling. Everybody, just hang on to your hats. Road Wireless Go to two hundred and fifty nine. Two hundred and fifty nine. So two sixty versus three hundred. Two nine nine versus two five nine. But with the DJI mic again, I, I think you can tell already which team I'm on. <laughs> with the, with the DJI mic, you get more for your money. It's a smaller package. Um, you got that awesome box that it comes in. The Rode Wireless Go to Rode are a renowned microphone company. DJI, this is their first one. What, what DJI really are is more of a transmission company, oh, I yeah. think. Yeah, they do can. stuff that transmits. So wireless microphone, drones with controllers. Mm -hmm. They do stuff that they're a transmission company. Is that yeah. a fair thing to say? I think that's, that's a fair take on it, yeah, for sure. Whereas Rode are all about the actual sound. Yeah, Rode are a microphone company, mm. basically, amongst a number of other things, but predominantly a microphone company. There are other companies in this space, just moving into this space, Joby, for example. Yes, correct, yeah. So Joby do a podcasting kit with a shotgun mic and they do uh, wireless mics as well, but I emailed them and they haven't got back to me. So you know, this is DJI an, versus Rode at the moment. This is an interesting thing because uh, obviously Rode have domineered this market segment mm -hmm. for a while, you yeah. know, with, originally with the video mic, yeah. uh, then the video mic pro, and, uh, and now, the, uh, you know, the, the lapel mics, um, and I mean, a number of different versions of the video mic, you know, there's mm. the video mic Go as well, which, yeah. which we've talked about on the show before. Um, and it seems like they're really under siege from lots of other companies mm. um, in, in this very particular content creator type of segment. Yeah, there's a lot of people fighting for this, especially with the rise of TikTok and so many yeah, sure. influencers, and I'm deliberately using bunny ears for influencers. People with a following, whether they're a real following or a trusting following, that's a whole different story. But influencers <laughs> um, want ring lights and they want microphones and they want all this stuff. So there's a lot of companies fighting to compete in that space. Yeah. Absolutely. So if you're into video, then you know, just be reminded that audio is an extremely important component of uh, video making in general. I think it's more important than the video, to be honest. Yes, often said that the if, audio quality is more important than yeah. the actual quality of the image. That's if you think about it this way, if you're watching something on YouTube, if the video sucks but the sound is good, you'll probably carry on watching it. If the video is amazing but the sound is glitching or the sync between the movement of the mouth and the sound isn't right, if there's something wrong with the audio, mm. you're far more likely to stop and switch off. Yeah, absolutely. I can actually, see, I can see that when uh, you know when I'm watching movies on TV. Mm -hmm. um, you know, sometimes if the sound, if the overall mix is so bad that the dialogue is overpowered by you know special effects, sounds, mm. and the music and everything yeah. else, and it feels like the dialogue is totally embedded in that. Yeah. I have a really hard time watching that. Yeah, especially if it's clipping and stuff with, yeah. or if you can't hear the dialogue properly over the background noise. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, both of these options are really excellent options for anybody who wants to get into, you know, making videos. Uh, there's with, not much in it. There's, there's really, really not much in no. it. No. Um, 
I mean, there are, there are a number of things and they're purely to do with the sort of user experience when it comes to the road. Yeah. Um, oh. DJI mic, go. Um, so yeah, it's just the, the pure uh, user experience really that I maybe have a slight, it's just really like a very, very minimal issue with. Hmm. And that's the fact that um, you really have to pluck your your mic units into the computer yeah. to then use the road software to actually make any changes or you know make change some of the main settings or yeah. download um, so that, the actual files. That's something that works really well with the DJI mic. You don't have to mess about like you do with the Rode wireless because mm -hmm. there's a USB-C port on the mic. You press the record button on the mic. You can forget about the receiver altogether. Yeah. You can just record straight onto this device and then plug it straight in and your computer recognizes it as a drive. Right. So you don't have to deal with any drivers or interfaces or anything. It's literally like yeah. plugging in a hard drive. Well, that's that's really good. I mean, of course, that sort of functionality is very similar to the road. Mm -hmm. um, so you can use the unit on its own without the receiver mm -hmm. and it records onto its, onto its own. But for instance, you have different modes. Like, for instance, you could tell the uh, the unit to only start recording once it once it connects to the receiver, right. or you could tell it to just always record whenever it's turned on. No so if what. you just want to use it on its own without the receiver at all as a sort of separate sound recording unit, if you want, then that works. But you can't change that, to my knowledge, on the actual unit. You have to actually go into the software on a computer, connect right. the thing, and then yeah. make the changes. So if you're out and about and you might want to you might want to change uh, some of the modes, the recording mm. modes, for example. You need to, at the at very least, connect to your phone. You can run the road software on your phone and then connect with a wire, though. Right. Connect the uh, the unit to your phone and then right, change okay. on your phone. But you so. always have to make, you have to have something else to make these changes rather than being able to do it on on the actual unit. And this so is, I think, where can, the DJI The DJI, comes in. yeah, with the receiver, there's a, um, it uh, acts as an interface. It's got a small OLED touchscreen. Yeah, and that's the big thing, yeah. And so you can thing. change any settings there and then. You don't need to plug anything into a computer. You just need to have your whole, you know, you, you need to have your box with your two mics and receiver. Yeah. But you can change anything from there. And that's purely from a user experience point of view. I think that's the biggest difference. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, having having used the, uh, the wireless go in the field, basically, um, that's, that would have probably been my biggest gripe generally is that I, I always need something else to make those changes, mm -hmm. which means you have to get your phone out, you connect it, or you have to have your laptop and whatever, you know. And it's a bit of a faff, yeah. to be honest. And also the fact that the, the DJI have a touchscreen where you can scroll through the settings. Mm -hmm. Again, purely from a user perspective, from a user experience perspective, this is so much more intuitive. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so with you, you can make some changes on the rope, but there's sort of a number of like button combinations you have to press and you can even remember what's You have to remember them. Yeah, and yeah. so, uh, you know, it's a little bit less intuitive. Although, again, I mean, we're really splitting hairs here because both of those units uh, really function as, as perfect wireless lapel. Yeah, yeah, units, they're great. You know. Yeah, as I say, there's not much in it at all. A lot of, the, a lot of it will depend on what you're using it for. Um, yeah. Various factors come into play there, but they're both very good. The interesting thing about this is, you know, I like the fact that, that DJI come out with a new product and they're just pushing the bar just a little bit further. Yeah. And so, you know, since we're now looking at the second generation of the Wireless Go, I'm quite intrigued to know what the third generation is going to look like because clearly... I think know, they need to deal with the aesthetics. I think a shiny... A shiny thing with white emblems on it's literally it's not just on the front it's on every surface there's a contrast i think it needs to be something a bit more discreet hmm. that's my opinion 
Great, well, we'll see. What we'll do they do? You listening, Road? <laughs> Less shiny, more discreet. We'll link, we'll link all, the, all the links to, to both of those units in the description, obviously. Awesome. Um, We're still on the DJI. Do you want to switch back? I tell you what, let's, let's switch back to the fully edited sound. So, and then uh, we, we've got a number of other things that we want to talk about in this episode. Right. So now we're going to spare you the unedited, straight out of the box audio, and we're going to go back to the fully produced sound. Here we go. How exciting. Nice. Oh, we sound good now. Ooh, what was that? Shasta? It was, quite indeed. So what do you, th- what do you think about Shasta? <laughs> I really love it. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting concept. We've, we've talked about Shasta um, on the show in the past, but uh, just for, for those of you who haven't uh, been able to listen to that, just go back a couple of episodes. I'll tell you right now. Listen, it's right there. There it is. <laughs> can you hear anything? No. That's if, the whole you, point. if you can't hear nothing at all, then that's that's why Shasta is basically a project mm-hmm. um, run by Adobe um, on the Adobe website, essentially. Um, that allows you to upload your audio file and then... And then it does some magic. Then it does It gets magic. rid of all the noise, all the clicks, the hums, the buzzes, the... It gets and the background noise. There's a helicopter. There's a helicopter right now. Perfect example. It gets rid of all the background noise and just gives you clean, crisp, clear audio. In fact, so one of the reasons why you would use that up is if you had background noise. So we, we are right now sitting in my little um, studio space and right above us is a skylight like a window in a roof, and only about half an hour ago, it was pouring down. Yeah. And that rain would have been clearly audible if we were recording in you know in this in this. We've got this helicopter now; it's gone now. But that would have been if if, if that wasn't filtered, that would have been picked up. Yeah. So Shasta um, is a really simple to use thing on the Adobe website. Yeah. Um, again, tool is the word. Your tool is the word. Yeah. I'm a bit of tool there. Yeah. Um, yeah, so all you have to do is go onto the um, Adobe website. The link is in the description below, so you can uh, you can have a look at that. Um, it's really a one-stop shop um, to get your audio sound as good as possible. Even if you have a really cheap mic where your audio quality, you know, straight out of the box isn't that great, once you run it through Shasta, I think the tagline is that even if you record something on a really crappy mic, it'll come back sounding like it was recorded in the studio. And for the most part, that actually I'm, works really well. I'm going to say something controversial. That's too good. It's a little bit... <laughs> I was going to say that. Too good. Sometimes when you lose the background noise, the ambient noise, you lose your sense of place. Like when you did the episode of the photography show, yeah. you were using the interview go, and you were in the busy NEC, you should have heard background noise. Yeah, There was been. nothing. There was yeah. silence. Skip back, what, three episodes? Mm-hmm. And and just listen if you haven't already. Yeah, absolutely. So that, that was a bit of a test also to see how good Shasta actually was. But I tell you, one, there's, there's really two little issues I have with it. One is it really is too good mm-hmm. um, because it, it's quite aggressive on the background noise. Um, and so therefore, if you're a person who has sort of, you know, wide dynamic range in their voice, like for instance, if, you know, sometimes maybe at the end of your phrase, you might turn down the volume a little bit. And then bring it back up when you get excited. Mm-hmm. Shasta really has a tendency to to be a little too aggressive. Yeah. So when all of a sudden when you're saying something and it's, it's considerably more quiet, it might think it's background noise and yeah. cut it out. So the 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 way you can get around that is by just adding a little bit of compression and a limiter before you send that audio file to Shasta, so that and you can do that with Adobe Audition. 
Yeah, or you can do it right in Premiere Pro. Absolutely, and you could do it, you could do it straight in Final Cut Pro if you know Final Cut Pro. What's that? Final Cut Pro X. We talk about Adobe. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so uh, yeah, so even even in Final Cut, uh, you can do it right out of the box. Uh, you, essentially, what you do is you bring the level of that audio up, um, and then you compress it so that you keep the level relatively even. So it'll basically lift the quiet parts mm. and compress the the loud parts a little yeah. bit. And then once you've evened out the audio, you send it to Shaster, and then really it'll do all its EQ magic. It'll go yeah. back sounding sounding really good. And you know, it it works really well. It's it's easy. It's time saving yeah and you can send it off and it all processes online you can be getting on with something else while that's happening without exactly. using your processor absolutely yeah so as soon as you feel time time saver so just you know from a pretty from a practical point of view when i edit these episodes what i actually do is you know i might uh send the audio to shasta and then get on with some color grading or something like that and literally it takes minutes mm -hmm. you know minutes it pings back up on the website you download the file you import it you sync it done cool. super easy Nice. It really saves a lot of time rather than having to go into another software like Audition or uh, or, or Logic or whatever it may be. Audition. Or the other one <laughs> that people use. Um, and then you have to, you know, run all your, your, all your processing there. Right. So it's a useful tool. And I think where I think things like Shasta and things like, you know, the Rode Wireless and um, the DJI mics, they are all in that same category of making your life easier yeah. and making your workflow easier as a content creator. So you can focus on literally creating the content rather than to think, okay, well, now I'm going to learn about audio processing. Yeah. Now I'm going to learn about this now. Because there's already so much other stuff you have to learn. Like you know, the business of photography, marketing, accounting, all that boring stuff that takes up all yeah. our time. We don't need to spend even more time yeah. learning things that can be simplified for us. Of course. And you know, if you think about in the olden days, you know, before the kind of solo content creator, if you want, you know, you had whole crews or teams mm. working on a project like this. Yeah. You would have the sound recorders dealing with the sound. Then you had the sound mixer actually mixing the sound. You'd have the camera operator, the boom guy. Yeah. You, I mean, Chris Exactly. So you'd have a lot of people working on this one thing. And nowadays, very often that's all one person. Mm. You know, if you're lucky, might be two people, but more often than not, you've got to be the DP, you've got to be the, you know, you've got to be the writer, you've got to be the talent. You've got to you get, get your own drinks. Yeah, you've got to be the editor, um, you've got to get your own coffee. That is terrible. So, it's, times have changed in that respect, and so the, the gear that we use for these sort of things reflects that. Absolutely. You know, it's, um, I think, long gone are the glory days where we went out with field recorders and all the rest of it, although these things are still very useful. Of course they are. Yeah. But generally speaking, from a day-to-day -day content creation point of view... Um, if you can fit everything in your pockets or into a small bag, that's perfect. Exactly. If you can fit your whole production studio into your camera bag, mm -hmm. perfect. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Glenn, Glenn Dewis um, spoke to me about that the other day. Uh, actually, when we had a photographer, like his, his thing was that he, you know, now everything... Everything that he uses on a typical day out when he's creating content literally fits into a little, mm -hmm. like, fanny pack. Yeah. And that's about it. Yeah. You know, yeah. Awesome. Because it's all about creating content. Yeah. And the smaller you gear, the more content you can create. Yeah. Unless you have to think about it, the more you can smash out. 
Exactly. Talk about smashing it out, and you've been smashing it out at Dolby Max recently. Oh, it was pretty cool. Um, Russell Brown um, had a precon entitled The Saga of the Sword. And if you don't know who Russell Brown is, I'll put a link to the interview with Russell right here. Russell's precon was all about uh, the art of movie poster design and movie trailers. So it was a class essentially on Photoshop, um, InDesign, Illustrator, Premiere, and we gave them, uh, we gave all the students a bunch of Viking photos from these uh, Viking models we worked with in April, I think, in the Netherlands. Um, yeah, and they they had some world-class instructors, uh, Dave Clayton, oh, okay. <laughs> Chris Converse, Julianne Cost, Micah Burke, um, Michael Ellens. Um, um, there, there was just, there were so many people there that like top of their field, but the creme de la resistance was Lisa Knoll, um, the daughter of Thomas Knoll, I think. Ooh, okay. Thomas and John Knoll of, you know, Photoshop. Yeah. They made it. Um, Lisa came to talk about how to create a, um, a trailer. And that's what she does. Her day job is she makes trailers for TV shows and movies. Cool. And yeah, this, this pre-con lasted a few days over in LA. Uh, everyone had an amazing time. They got to take a Viking print of their a, a print of their Viking poster home with them. But then um, to sort of decompress, Russell and I, uh, along with Jeremy Vrensky and Aaron Grimes, went to Joshua Tree National Park and we did another fight. So instead of fighting microphones, we were fighting phones. We were taking photos of the Milky Way. You know, pairing the iPhone 14 Pro Max with the iPhone 13 Pro Max. And although the iPhone 13 Pro Max can take an awesome photo of the Milky Way, the 14 Pro Max has got the edge. It's that, that quad sensor, 48 megapixels, or quad sensor 12 megapixels times four, whatever, that really helps. Um, and you'd think, so the, the iPhone 13 Pro Max's main camera's aperture, obviously fixed, is 1.5. And the 14 Pro Max is 1.78. So you'd think it's not quite going to be as good, but it's way better. Right. Way better. And what a funny number, one point, F1.78. Hmm. Why 1.78? Why not 1.8 or 1.7? Anyway. Nope. So yeah, we had a, we had a great time doing that. And uh, now I'm back in the UK getting ready for the next thing, which is going to be a kind of similar to the last thing from last winter. <laughs> but for basically the van is going back to the Arctic. Um, and I'm really looking forward to it. Really, really looking forward to it. I'm looking for some sponsors at the moment. I'm tying the van all together, making sure it's all serviced and in great condition. Last thing I want to do is break down in the top of Norway or Finland or something. But essentially what I'm going to be doing is heading over that way in mid-December, um, driving from the UK, uh, either on the ferry or channel tunnel into France and then Turning left, as always, uh, heading straight up to Denmark to catch a ferry over from Denmark to Norway. And then I'll be driving all the way up to the top of Norway, crossing the Arctic Circle, entering the Arctic, mm -hmm. spending time in the Foten, in Senja, somewhere maybe in the Nordland, maybe at the Northern Cape, Nordcap. It depends if I can get there because of the snow and the blizzard and the ice. Um, and also in Swedish and Finnish Lapland, places like Kitla, Bisco, Levi, Mm -hmm. uh, me places like that and it, I can't wait it's going to be awesome cool that's going to take me until the end of February and so this this time around you're leaving a little bit later yeah I'll come back to last one what kind of impact Brexit. does it have Brexit Brexit, Brexit. We were, oh, 
Uh, but what, what's the um, what's the sort of impact that it has on, let's say, weather conditions and stuff? Um, well, in that sort of area, January and February are the worst times. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be there for the worst times. But mm-hmm. they often say that um, the best photos come after a storm, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that's kind of the plan. I want to be there so that when there's storms, I can get that incredible light that happens after a storm. When there's still moody clouds filling the sky, but you've got some light hitting from the side. In the Arctic, at that time of year, the light is going to be from the side. It's never going to be overhead. Mm. So all day when the sun's up, it's going to be like golden hour. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. But also when there's clear skies, I'm going to get lots of northern lights. And I've got plans to do um, lots of stuff with stars and northern lights with Insta360. They've sent me um, some stuff to test out. Okay. I'm also working on looking at looking at real-time northern lights so i've i'm trying to secure some other cameras from other sponsors to be able to film the northern lights in real time rather than using a time lapse which is the safer method i want to be able to do it in real time which means i need really wide really fast lenses and really good cameras with really good sensors what's the complication of uh, of filming the northern lights in real time it's just too dark Right. So you can see them with your naked eye. When they're strong, they light up the landscape with green light. It's beautiful, but it's still dark. Yeah. If you still, if you use a, any, like the camera you're using now, an Icon Z6 2, yeah. right? It's got a really good sensor. It performs well in low light, but you need to have a long exposure for it to perform well in low light. If your, if your sensor's really good, you're not going to get so much noise on the sensor. But to, to use that, to film real-time Northern Lights, you're just not going to get enough brightness. Mm. Whereas some of the Sony sensors, um, the Sigma FP, really good cameras like that, new really good sensors, are going to be able to take in that light. Right. At like 100,000 ISO. Crazy numbers. Yeah. But it's going to work. So I'm waiting to secure all the deals I'm working on around that. You'll find out soon. Sure. You know what I'm working on. Oh, yeah. You'll see soon. And so, and uh, are you going to do another YouTube series like you did the first time around? Yep. So it's called Due North, <laughs> and I've decided I'm going to call it. You ready for this? Due South. No. Due West. Crazy. It's crazy. Is it? Due North 2. Wow. I know. Really original. <laughs> Due North 2. Um, just keep things simple. Yeah. But yeah, I'll be documenting it. I'll try and put out a video every week to show what I'm up to, and I'm thinking about starting that sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. So before I leave to go to the Arctic, I'm going to be doing a test run going up to Scotland. Um, there might be some northern lights in Scotland. The, the solar maximum is upon us. It's funny. It hasn't been officially announced by NASA. So it is. It's funny you should mention that because you remember we were texting the other day when um, I heard on the on the Twitter webs, I guess, that uh, northern lights would be visible in southern England. Yeah. Oh, it looks like right they were, but there was a storm. Really? Yeah, well, it was totally overcast. So. Uh, my wife and I went outside and we're like, oh, where the Northern Lights? And it's like, oh, it's all the cast, damn it. Damn. If you want to see the Northern Lights in the UK, you can download an app called Aurora Watch UK and it gives you notifications. But if you want to learn more about it, I have a book out. It's called The Complete Aurora Guide for Travelers and Photographers. It fully explains the space forecasts. Solar Maximum is here. It's probably going to be announced this winter or next winter, mm-hmm. but it's Basically, when the sun is at its highest level of activity, there are loads of sunspots facing the Earth. All these eruptions, coronal mass ejections coming out of the sun, spewing um, helium into space, helium plasma. 
at breakneck speeds that hit the earth and create these northern lights, these corona. Yeah. They're at their highest level of activity now and highest level for 11 years. Oh, well. So after this winter and next winter, it's going to go down and then back up to the next maximum in 11 years. So now is the best time okay. for people like us to go and see the northern lights. Yeah. Mm, interesting. Have you got anything else planned whilst you're up in the Scandinavian? Um, yeah, but I can't really... You'll see. <laughs> okay, it's all a well-kept secret. There is going to be, there's going to be some cool surprise stuff. Right. Especially when I'm in Lofoten. But I can't really say. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, I'm, sure, I'm sure, I'm sure we'll <laughs> talk, we'll talk about it again on the podcast. No doubt. Yeah. At some point. It'll oh. be on my uh, YouTube and on my Instagram and stuff. If anyone wants to keep up, that's absolutely fine. Yeah. Now, for those of you who have been tracking Dave's van, how's the van keeping up so far? It's doing all right. Um, Mechanically, fine, more or less. Um, just, you know, you've got to keep on top of servicing and things like that to make sure it doesn't break down, make sure there's no risk, but it's doing fine. Um, the interior, there are some regrets that I have, but they're not the end of the world. Okay. Things like, I wish I'd put an actual desk in there. Oh, yeah. But then retrospectively, I can't figure out where to put one if I put one in now. Mm without like serious rearranging and plus you're gonna have to lose that there, yes yeah um weight obviously always an issue so that would be a big factor in whether i did something like that i've also like I've, where i've insulated the floor and then put plywood over the top of the insulation i've put battens in and then put a floor on top hmm. i haven't made it strong enough so i've put a hole in the floor oh right okay it's not end of the world again it, it's just really annoying that i've put a hole in the floor through the insulation so i need to i need to deal with that mm. and there was a roof leak um because i put the skylight in myself obviously i'm just me <laughs> i'm not a professional and so i did have some um minor leaks that came in into the bed area um nothing really bad just drips but it happened and so that you know there's all these things like i've had to deal with as well as, like I showed you earlier, the break-in in, or the attempted break-in in Serbia, sure. where I ended up jumping out in the middle of the night with an axe yeah. and meeting two guys trying to steal things from the back of my van. They broke the back door. So now I've had to deal with how to keep it secure, um, but losing some of the mechanisms because the insulation's in the way, so I can't get in there to fix it. I've just had to sort of knock on that. Yeah, do you know what I mean? It's good. It's fun. It's got a shelf life. 100% got a shelf life, mm. but at the moment it's fine. It's good. Right. Cool. So, obviously you're living in the van, mm. and you have been living in the van for like, how long? Year? 18 months. 18 months, yeah. So, are you, are you seeing yourself living in the van still in 18 months' time? 20 months. Um, I don't know. Maybe. It depends. I've got lots of things burning at the moment. Like little ideas here and there. Um, as creatives, the income, as a self-employed creative, the income is always tricky. And so I'm trying to figure out plans moving forward and more reliable things, more secure things. If they are compatible with staying in the van or a van, another van, I don't know, then I'm enjoying it. It's, it's a it's really fun. It, it's, it gives you a real sense of freedom, um, especially when it comes to 
being in the right location. If you want to wake up and take a photo of sunrise, you can wake up at the right place. So we have to do it. Roll out of the van in the morning, put the camera there, take the picture, and there's no messing about. There's mm. you, you're you're always in the right place right. where you need to be or want to be for whatever your plans are. So yeah, I don't know yet. We'll see. I, you know, I always think that when you kit out a van like this for a relatively warm, sunny climate. Mm. That's got to be a lot less complicated because you don't need as yeah, much. Yeah, you don't need as much. Insulation. You'd be surprised how cold it can get at night, even in the summer, mm. um, especially in the early hours of the morning, like 4, 5, 6 a.m. But having spent the summer in the south of France and northern Italy, where it was very hot, 40, mm. 40 plus, it, the way I've insulated the van is similar to the way we build our houses in the UK in that uh, it's designed to retain heat. Right. So when it's hot, it's too hot. Yeah. So it's almost like I need a winter van in a summer. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Maybe, uh, maybe a Land Rover with like a rooftop tent. I'm not allowed to get a Land Rover. My mechanic, who is uh, the best mechanic in the world, Pete Spence, down at Swanage Tires and Tuning right. in Swanage, Dorset, I'm plugged him enough. Sure, link is in the description. Pete says I'm not allowed to get a Land Rover because they break all the time. So I'm not getting a Land Rover, despite I quite like one. You know, I used to have an old Land Rover. Um, and it broke all the time? And it, well, yeah, but you could fix it with, you know, gaffer's take and uh, and a lady's stockings. All right. Do you know what I mean? I mean, it was, uh, yeah, I mean, lots of it was broken, but it was quite easily fixable. Like, I, were, we talked earlier about the sunroof on this thing. Mm. Um, the sunroof was leaking um, constantly, so to the point where... If you were driving through a rainstorm, you would literally have to wear rain gear inside. Um, you know, you fix that with gaffer tape. It worked for a couple of years, and it was fine. Not for that. Like the door, <laughs> the door frame was bent, mm. so you know you'd have water gushing in there. For example, you know, I mean, this it didn't have a any form of air conditioning or anything. It had flaps, just holes. Well, yeah, literally, you had like flaps with like a lever, and you open a flap, and it would be your your air ventilation, basically. Right, so, okay. yeah, it was. But that's cool, right? It's cool to do. It was absolutely cool. Experience. Well, I, I sort of likened it to driving a cross between a tank and a lawnmower. <laughs> you know, um, it felt like you're driving the lawnmower, right? But everybody else felt you were coming down the road in the tank, right? And so you know, people would get out of your way. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. Well, that's especially fun. when they can see you don't care about breaking your stuff. It's some yeah, why you exactly. care about theirs. Yeah. <laughs> so it was a really fun. It was a fun car to drive. I had it for, I want to say, about three years, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would like to get something like overlandy, yeah. Because like the vans is about as for a self-converted Sprinter, it's kind of pushing towards overland. In the chunky tires, it's like a swamper. Yeah, it's not four by four, but it's you know swamper. So it's two wheel drive, but with mm. the features of four wheel drive, like the big tires and the height and everything. Mm. It would be cool to have something smaller as an overlander, like with a pop tent or something like a. A pickup like a Nissan Navara or something. Oh. Navara, yeah, Navara or something like that. FJ two hundred, something, something more four by four. Right. Ford Raptor, I think, would be optimum. Oh yeah. But then there's not much space to lie down in the back. Well, and you, you're losing a lot of more content. I mean, what one of the the real advantages with your rent is the fact it's got like a built-in toilet and stuff like that. So you're literally autonomous if you're out yeah. the sticks for. And it's designed because I live in it full time. It's designed to be easy. Yeah, so I don't have to make the bed every day. The bed is the bed. Yeah. 
Whereas others that don't live in there, man, the bed folds down and you have to build things and all that. Mine's just all already there. Um, but the, yeah, it's a different game. You know, living in a van or having a van are two different things. Oh, for sure, yeah, 100%. Now, so, I mean, it's the same thing, you know, once you, once you make everything smaller, mm -hmm. then, of course, you're going to lose something the old way, you know, and that'd be, you know, better for off-roading, but at the same time, you know, it might be more difficult to be autonomous more any length of time, yeah. you know, past maybe a couple of days or something. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't know exactly where it's going, but it's good fun at the moment, mm -hmm. so it's it's sticking around for a bit. Yeah, still looking good, though. Thanks. It's parked right out there. <laughs> Keep a close eye on it. Yeah. So if you if you see it on the road somewhere, I'm this. If you, I've I've had a few people like take pictures of Coffee Fernvay in the wild. So if right. you do see my van, are you going to put a picture on the screen right here so everyone knows what it looks like? If you see Coffee Fernvay out in the wild, take a picture, tag me. I'd love to see like other people's perspective of my van. Yeah. So you are off to Scotland, first of all, for a bit of a test run. Yeah, make sure everything is still good, but also be in a beautiful place with awesome landscapes, potential for Northern Lights, um, and take some hikes and adventures. And I need to sort of tone it down again. I've, I've got a bit chunky over the summer. <laughs> so I need to I need to do some hikes and yeah. deal with that. Um, so Scotland's a great place because obviously it's on the same chunk of land that we're already on. Right. To go and do the test run and make sure the van works properly, make sure the batteries are still up to up to what they need to be up to uh, need to be up to need to be able to handle right um the solar panel all all that stuff i just need to make sure everything's fine before i go thousands of miles into the arctic yeah because you've been in a few hairy situations on your last yeah trip, yeah it? we won't go into too many details but yeah i, I self-rescued i got rescued got stuck i had to hide from um double polar storms a couple of times and literally just sit there for like 48 hours and not move there was, yeah, it's good fun. He damaged Dracula's castle. Uh, yeah, I might reverse into Dracula's <laughs> castle. Might have, I'm not sure. And also, you had sort of a, you had sort of a weird encounter to third kind. Oh, okay, we're going there, are we? Oh, absolutely. We need plan. Okay. So, let me tell you a story. All right. In Germany, in sort of the Rhinelands, there's this castle called Berg Elps. Berg means like hill or mountain hill. Yeah. A German word for castle is Schloss. So I'm very confused about why it's not called Schloss Elts. But okay, so anyway. Burg, okay, so Burg is actually, uh, it's a fortification, it's a fort. Oh. Yeah, so Burg is more of a... So, so before there. the castle was there, it was like a wooden fort on a hill opposite. Oh, cool. Fun fact. Yeah. And if you go there, when you stand at the entrance to the castle and you look at it, if you look on the hill behind you, you can see just this little piece of like stone wall mm. from where that castle was built and subsequently collapsed. Okay. But they attacked each other across the hill. All right. Yeah, anyway. Makes sense. So Berg Elts, Elts Castle, E-L-T-Z. Okay. They, this castle's like 800 years old or something. Maybe a thousand. It's really old. Yeah. It's in a series of small valleys and hills. So it's all steep angles. It's all forest. The nearest farm is something like four kilometers away. You know, this this freaks out my friends in North America a lot. Mm. But, you know, when I grew up in the southwest of Germany, um, there are so many burgs and castles. Mm -hmm. And they're all old. And they're all like a thousand years old, 1200 years old, whatever. Um, I literally, out of my bedroom window, I had a perfect view of a castle brewing on the top of a vineyard. Mm. 
And uh, it's just, you don't really pay any special attention to it because those things are everywhere. <laughs> but there are some really nice ones. And Bergelt's, um, Cockham Castle, Neuschwanstein. Yeah. Um, there are, there's a handful of like really nice ones. So I was at Bergelt's, nearest civilizations, four ish kilometers away. That's a farm. The nearest tower is about six kilometers away. Right. So I get there and there's a car park because it's like a tourist attraction. This family owns it, but it's a museum, a living museum. No one lives there. Uh, I get to the gate and I say to the guy on the parking gate in my worst German, and he doesn't speak any English, I want to stay here and take photo in Morgan. Sunrise. <laughs> your best German. Yeah. I want to stay here. <laughs> so he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And says, there. And points like to the corner the yeah. bottom end of the car park in the corner out of the way which is fine he also gave me a leaflet and a fridge magnet i don't know why i got a free fridge magnet for there you the go nice okay. nice result so yeah i i went and parked up there my plan was to shoot sunrise but i thought while i'm here i might as well take a walk to the castle now it's like a one and a half kilometer walk right. like really steep hills went and took some photos at sunset everything was really nice it was cool i got back and i was like the last handful of cars in in the car park after everyone else left and i was eating my dinner and everything was calm i was like looking around me so right beside me uh, to the back and the side of the van is the forest and then the car parked front and left and then everything was fine then as well um as soon as it started to get dark it just got weird eerie like spooky all the noises, it was summer, all the noises you get in the forest in the summer, like chirping frogs, crickets and all that, they suddenly stopped. Right. I sudden, I thought that's weird. Mm. I'm looking outside. The darkness is coming in on the forest. Everything's getting a bit weird. There's that feeling, it's, like a, it's just a feeling of something's wrong. Mm -hmm. Can't put your finger on it, but it feels like something's wrong. So the noise stopped, but then the noise came back. I'm like, oh, that's weird. An hour went past, and I'm lying in bed at this point. An hour went past, and then I opened the um, skylight and looked around. It was completely dark. No moon, no light anywhere. And I'm, I'm going to point out again, no light anywhere. Like, no people with torches mm. or anything. And I'm hearing footsteps. And you know what four footsteps sounds like, and you know what two footsteps sound like. Mm -hmm. It was two footsteps. Right. Walking around, like, quite slowly. That's really weird. And I've got lights on the outside of the van to light up every angle really bright. I've got torches. I've got whatever I need. I've got it. But I didn't want to turn it on. There was something telling me, don't, don't, don't turn it on. Don't look. Mm. Like, right, okay, that's weird. Then there was tapping on the van a little while later. Then it felt like the van was, like, shoved. A little bit of a sway. Not much, just a bit. But there was no wind. Mm -hmm. And then at one point there was this like bang and a drag, like you need to make sure Shasta got that. But, uh, bang and a drag on the roof. The roof's nine foot off the ground. Oh, okay. All of these things combined with the feeling, the noises, the moving around in the woods, the silence then, the chirping and then the silence. It can all be explained individually, right? But over the course of about four hours, these things happening in that sequence 
was just and with the feelings I was getting, which come out of nowhere. I'm I'm not scared of anything. Well, clearly, I'm scared of this. I'm not scared of anything. Yeah, really, genuinely, I'll face anything. Yeah. And this put the chills in me. Did it turn out to be a squirrel? I didn't find out what it was. But when I so I after like rationalizing it at about three or four in the morning, I I just decided, oh right, I'm leaving now. Mm-hmm. I went out out of the car park and onto the road that leads to the car park. So it's there it's paved there. There was this smear across the road. Like a wet it's not it hadn't rained, dry. There was a wet smear across the road. Maybe it was a giant lost of now. Maybe it was. Maybe it wasn't. It, it, I must point out that in Germany there are bears, wolves, and various other bigish things. Raccoons, apparently, but they're not there. They're all moving. All the big like predator stuff, like bears and wolves, they're all way over to the east near what, the Polish border. What about lynxes? Lynxes. See, that's the thing. It could have been, but I, a lynx doesn't. A lynx might have made some other noises. Yeah. But it's not going to sway my three and a half ton van. I know that probably about ten years ago or something, they were, or maybe maybe ten, fifteen years ago, they, they were reintroducing lynxes into the wild. And I remember reading about this because lynxes used to be lynxes are cat. Cats are quiet. Well, so lynxes used to be, you know, they used to live in in, in Germany. Yeah, they used to live all across Europe. Yeah. Eurasian lynx. Exactly. Yeah, so all across Europe. Um. And, uh, and so I read about the fact that they were reintroducing them because it's regarded as one of those native animals that, you know, mankind um, basically got rid of mm-hmm. at some point. So they were really hunting them for their fur. Basically. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so um, it kind of, at first I thought, I wanted to say something really nice idea. Mm-hmm. Until I went to this wild animal park mm-hmm. nearby where my mother is in the south of Germany. And, uh, and we stayed in a, uh, in a tree house, which is an awesome tree house, mm. in a little mini village of tree houses. Uh, these tree houses are really incredible. I mean, each one is different. They're pretty big. They have, they have underfloor heating. So it's all very, yeah, it's very, very cool, very fancy. But the interesting thing is, like, you, you stay the night there. And I kid you not, I spent most of the night awake because I was listening to the weirdest of animal noises out there. I mean, there's anything from bears to into lynxes and wolves and all the rest of it. Um, but the lynxes were particularly amazing because I never realized how bloody damn huge they are. Yeah, yeah. And you their know? paws are like as big as your hand. Yeah, yeah, they're humongous. I think a cat's paw is going to be quite a small thing. It's just... Very fluffy ears as well. Yeah, yeah. Very interesting. But, you know... They've got really short ears and really short noses, you know? And do you know why that is? What is it? So any animal that lives in the cold, and it, it, a lynx is, a, is an animal that lives in polar regions has got shorter ears and shorter nose and shorter legs and a shorter tail. Bob the uh, uh, lynx's tail tiny because then it's less susceptible to the cold. Oh, okay. To that's frostbite. Oh, that's interesting. In fact, there you go. You can have that. Which is why people who live in the Arctic have shorter fingers and short arms. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly what that is. Right. In this guy. Um, <laughs> but uh, but I you know I was watching these things and I thought, like, hell, if you imagine if you take your dog out in the woods and you come across one of these dudes, yeah. I'd be scared. But the thing is, they're, they're generally silent. Yeah. If, a, if a lynx, or if in fact any predator wants to get you, they're gonna, you're not going to know. 
they're going to get, they're going to be very quiet coming yeah. up to you. When they make a noise, it's because they don't care. Like when they're like a, a bear is going to approach you silently, yeah. and he's running away from you, it's going to make loads of noise because it doesn't care at that point. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah. So if you can hear a lynx, it, it doesn't care. If it's going to attack you or your dog, you're not going to hear it. It's sort of the European equivalent of a mountain lion. Yeah. That's why I always do. Yeah. yeah. If you if you come across one of those, then, you know, it's, you know. It's like, yeah, it's just fluffy. Fluffier version. Yeah, fluffier version. Yeah. <laughs> the white version. But interesting, interesting animals, nevertheless. But anyway, putting the lynx into the burgouts, in my experience in the forest there in the car park, I, I don't think it was. We don't have infestation. But it's the noise on the roof and the swaying, like whatever swayed the van. Like it was like the van got pushed and right. So you know in the southwest of Germany is an infestation of raccoons, right? That's because a whole bunch of raccoons, whatever you call it, a tribe of raccoons, and like a pack, a pack, a school of raccoons, school, did it fleet, a fleet, a murder of raccoons, <laughs> but um. Yeah, so uh, a whole a whole gang of raccoons escaped to Dangle. Let's go with Gaggle. Yeah. A gaggle of raccoons. A gaggle of raccoons, yeah. <laughs> uh, from some kind of wildlife park or something like that. And they're native to Finland, but that's like over the sea. Yeah, yeah. I went, and I guess they used to be native to Central Europe, you know, some time ago. But anyway, so they uh, they really took a shine to the countryside and uh, and tried and they started multiplying like freaking crazy. Yeah, yeah. And now there's a whole like infestation of raccoons in that particular area in South Africa, which is hilarious. Because, you know, I for one love a raccoon. So that thump, drag noise on the roof. Definitely. Explain that. Definitely a, a gag of raccoons. Yeah. A gaggle of raccoons. <laughs> Skydiving raccoons. Because, you know, they're clever, man. They work, they work in teams. Yeah. You think it's one animal, it's not. It's not. They all stand on the shoulders. Exactly. It sounds like something. <laughs> yeah. So make, like, <laughs> make the, the silhouette of a big bear or something. Uh, it's just. Anyway. Exactly. Bottom line, it was probably Bigfoot. Right, probably can't prove it because I didn't see. Well, there you go. <laughs> there you go, Bigfoot. If you want to learn more about Bigfoot here, make sure to go back to an episode that we shot. Yeah, yeah. In if, you, if you genuinely want to learn about Bigfoot, mm. look up Steve Isdahl. Okay. Um, on YouTube, howtohunt.com, and and listen to some of the encounters. It's weird. How to hunt. And some of them are in yeah, howtohunt.com. So he owns a website um, company, how to hunt, howtohunt.com. He makes apps about. Um, calling animals, you know, yeah. to to hunt them, but because right. he spent so much time in the Canadian and American wilderness, mm-hmm. he's got some encounters of his own. I've got some encounter stories of my own, but that's not for here or for now. <laughs> what did you encounter in the woods? I don't know. All oh, right, Bigfoot. Um, but yeah, um, howtohunt.com, um, all the missing four one one project, this Canon missing project. This Bigfoot cross the U.S. Canadian border. He doesn't care. He doesn't have a passport. He doesn't care about borders. Because I have to be any sightings in Canada. Yeah. Yeah. What? He, he's taking a little... Like number one. Vancouver Island. Check it out. Number one. Interesting. Texas has got more than you'd think as well. Oh, wow. Okay. Hmm. That guy's getting... There have been some stories from Scotland. People are probably thinking I'm crazy. I'm not crazy. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. <laughs> there have been some stories from mainland Europe. There have been some stories from Scotland. I found some interesting footprints in Norway in the snow. Mm-hmm. But again... They, they, they were in like different audience. No shoes. Like, no feet with toes. I wonder if it's big. Well, I wonder if like, you know, like in the same way that people tie like a shark fin on on their back to pretend they're a shark. I wonder if I don't it, think people do that. I think it's just in cartoons. Well, I, I wonder whether you can get to snowshoes that have like 
Oh yeah. yeah so people, like in the yeah, people have done that and they've been exposed for doing it. Right. But yeah. Hmm. I was the problem about Nessie. Oh yeah. The other day. Nessie's got an interesting backstory. Is it? Do you know the first Nessie story? Wasn't that um wasn't it a car tire? Was that <laughs> no. no, no, I was in the first Nessie story. Right. No. I think it was like I'm not gonna get the names right. And I might not even get the time period right, but somewhere in the region of the 16, 1700s, I think, there was at the um, the mouth of the River Ness near current day Inverness, there was a sighting of a weird beast in the water, of a serpent in the water. Oh, yeah. And um, there was this wealthy landowner and this like laborer. And this woman, I think it was a woman, the, the creature took the woman and the landowner heard the story about the creature taking the woman. And he took the worker and said, we need to figure out if this is real or if this is all made up. Because mm -hmm. someone said there's a monster in, in, the, in the nest, in the lock there. So he had the worker get in the water and swim. And sure enough, the, the wealthy guys in the boat rowing along or whatever, Sure enough, this monster appeared in the, in the water, this, this Loch Ness monster, and started swimming towards the guy, the worker that was swimming. And so they'd proven, to, the wealthy guy had proven the Loch Ness monster was real and quickly rescued the guy and rode back to the shore. And that was the first Loch Ness story from which everything originated. But it's weird that that story, that I can't even entirely correctly recall, has kind of stood the test of time and, and the mythology and the lore around it has stood the test of time. And it makes you think, and I'm not saying there's like this monster, I'm, I'm not saying that, but what I am going to say is, don't smoke without fire. <laughs> okay. So but maybe it... there was a killer whale, maybe, or a whale or a big <laughs> snake, maybe there was something there to back it up and create the story in the first place and then it just carried out through, carried on through time. Yeah. This isn't what people thought they were going to hear today on the Camera Shake podcast, is it? No, you came into this. <laughs> well, I mean, it's interesting because you know you talk you talk about um, about these kind of myths, you know, yeah. or mythical monsters and whatever, whether it's big or whether it's something else. And of course, the, the fact is that a lot of that is based actually on photographic yeah. evidence in Inverness. Yeah. A lot of which has been proved. Sarge Man hoaxes. Yeah, exactly. Other Loch Ness monster, the famous Loch Ness monster picture in black and white from the sixties or fifties, yeah. the big neck sticking out, like. Debunked, fake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 an interesting. It's an interesting thing. I mean, there's a famous Bigfoot um, photo, you know, somewhere taken in the Pacific Northwest. I guess. Are you talking about Aston Gimlin? It's the is it the, the thing walking across? Yeah, it's basically that's a tree trunk. It's like a guy in a monkey suit or something. No, no, that's that's they can't prove that to be wrong. Right. Okay. That one's in that they they can't disprove that one, and lots of people have proven that Israel muscle movement under their fur. Say for his hair, not for, but yeah, that was shot by um, Robert Patton, R Richard P Patterson and Gimlin. Robert Patterson, he's an Bob Gimlin, Richard Gimlin, <laughs> Robert Patterson, isn't that? Richard Patterson. It's Patterson and Gimlin. I can't remember their first names. Um, in North California, but that they can't disprove that. Hmm. Interestingly, you yeah. know, I know Joe Rogan went after Bigfoot at one point. Yeah. Yeah, Joe Rogan wanted to hunt a Bigfoot though. Different story. All right, okay. Um, but at the moment, 
like all the 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 days of saying you need a specimen of a species to prove its existence are now gone. Yeah. You can have other evidence, photos, DNA, hair, all that stuff. So you don't need to kill a bigfoot to prove it's real. What do you have to do you to kill one? I mean, what do you have? What has to happen in order to prove that bigfoot is real? Is you know he has to appear as a guest on the Camera Tech podcast, clearly. Yeah, I reckon he'd be all right. Yeah, yeah. Because the one thing I want to ask Bigfoot, yeah, is whether he shoots snake on a cannon. He'd probably say, "Where are Fuji? What Fuji? Pentacles, dude? My God, awesome! So cool! So you're off to Scotland, yeah. and then you're imagine I come back with a picture of Bigfoot now. That would be amazing. Blow your mind, right? Yeah, yeah. We'd, it'd, be, it'd be a world premiere on the Camera Shake podcast. Yeah, I'd tell you why. I wouldn't be coming to the Camera Shake podcast with it. Eventually. Yeah, this must be the first stop. This is the first stop. Yeah. Who's got the biggest wallet? God. If you have any photos of uh, mythical beings, please make sure you send them to us. <laughs> That'd be amazing. Awesome. Um, you can find us on Facebook, of course. Facebook.com forward slash groups. For just camera shake, um, just search for our camera shake podcast group, and it'd be amazing. And um, likewise, you can find us on Instagram, um, TikTok, and all Twitter, and all the good social media platforms. Clearly, um, you can also head over to cameraShakePodcast.com. And of course, be reminded if you are listening to the audio version of this podcast, there's a fully technicolored version over on YouTube that you can get to see this. Get to see this exactly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so we've come to the end of this week's episode of 127. Uh, Dave, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show again. Of course, we're going to be seeing much more of each other, no doubt. Come on, Tommy, catch up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but um, yeah, so remember to tune back in next Thursday uh, when we're back with episode 128. But in the meantime, you know, leave us a little review. Um, it's really useful if, uh, you know, if you are listening on the audio version, for example, and you're on um, Apple Podcasts or something, now, if you scroll down, leave us a little star rating, leave us a little review. That really does help us being found on, you know, in the vastness that is the interwebs. And likewise, if you are watching the YouTube version and you've made it this far, spend another 30 seconds and leave a little uh, comment out and a like down there. Tell more people about the Camera Shake podcast. Wonderful. It's really good. <laughs> Your audience needs to be a lot bigger. Oh, we're, we're working on that. But yeah, you guys need to help. Spread the love. Spread the love. That being said, see you next Thursday. Bye.